Welcome to a special edition of Breaking Badness. In this episode for our Summer Camp 2019 miniseries, we are joined by Cher DeGrippo, Senior Director, Threat Research and Detection at Proofpoint. We sat down to reflect on how relationships can never replace process, trends in the security industry, and knowing your protocols. This special episode of Breaking Badness is next. So, Sharon. Hey, Kelsey. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thanks I'm for sorry. having me. <laughs> I love that we're sitting in a way that the mics are completely blocking our eyesight. <laughs> I'll look you right in the eye. It's hiding my face. It's okay. <laughs> Wouldn't want it to hide your face. You have a beautiful face. Thank you. Um, so, the first thing I want to start with is there's an awful lot of doom and gloom in the security industry. So, I always like to start on a fairly light note and talk about the things we're thankful for. Okay. And then we'll just go from there. We all have plenty of time for doom and gloom. <laughs> so, um, let's take a moment to be positive so, and look back, basically, and see what we've accomplished in this last year. So, with that in mind, what is something as an industry we've improved on or changed in the past year? Something that I think that we have continued to improve on over the years. I've been in security for about 16 years, and something that I love now is that InfoSec is really making inroads into the software development lifecycle. They're getting in with the engineers. They're sitting side by side with them. Engineering teams and information security and operations teams, they know each other now. I know a lot of engineers, for example, at Proofpoint that are friends with people in the InfoSec team and they go to them for help and they go to them with questions and they think about the security aspects of what they're building while they're building it. And I think that we've really genuinely gotten better at that by being a little more approachable as an industry at work. Absolutely. That's a that's a great point. And I think we experience that even where we work um, at Domain Tools, where you have a if you have a relationship with um, your person totally. on the other side of the office, it yes. makes it so much easier to send that malicious, potentially malicious email and touch base. Or if you're going through a vendor process and trying to onboard a tool to put that extra step in there and go through the process of making sure that it is, in fact, safe. <laughs> yes. And I, I feel like we have developed those relationships in companies that are successful and that companies that have a more mature information security program. The engineering teams, the information security operations teams, they have relationships which you can't replace with process. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great point. I love that. We don't talk about that enough, I feel. But great to hear that that's improving. I feel like it is, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and so another thing I wanted to touch on is just an opportunity for reflection. These shows were happening every year, so it's a good time to maybe check in and and see where there's room for improvement. So what issues do you do you see that we need to be working on more as an industry? I think that, um, first of all, I love gloom and doom. I feel like in InfoSec, if you are not ready to live gloom and doom lifestyle, then <laughs> it might not be great for you. But something I've seen, especially this year, is that it's the first time that I can remember that we have seen a truly punitive result to a breach. Um, Equifax was fined. Equifax had their credit rating um, downgraded by Moody's. We didn't see that with the big breaches in the past. And Home Depot didn't see that. Target didn't see that. TJ Maxx didn't see that. But with Equifax, the game changed. And that was just a couple of weeks ago that um, they were downgraded by Moody's, that they had um, the insiders that did trading off the breach were sentenced to federal prison. Right. 
things are changing in that way, and I think that's good. We're taking the breaches seriously, um, and we're seeing that old adage of, you know what, it doesn't affect the stock price, or it doesn't matter if you're breached, that's over. And I'm glad that that's over. Yeah. It gives us a better foothold into you know, the executive suite. It gives us a better foothold to have budget and to take information security seriously. Absolutely. Well said. And we, we talk about that oftentimes too. We've run some surveys in the past um, from a consumer side and basically asked, I think it was around Cyber Monday, if a company has been breached, does that impact your buying decisions? And they basically mm-hmm. said, no, if the sale is good enough, I can be bought and I don't yes. care. So where does that responsibility lie? And I think that's a great point. It's good to see that that is being bared by someone other than the consumer, that there's some more Yes, absolutely. I think that's really important. And to your point, um, I remember the target breach very vividly. One of the few things that my Twitter bio says that I love public enterprise breach response. I love watching (laughs) breaches happen in the media and I love armchair quarterbacking them. And with Target, you know, I went, it was around Thanksgiving. I went to a Thanksgiving dinner with friends and you know, a friend of mine who's not in the industry, she's not in technology at all. She said, what am I supposed to do? Not shop at Target? I have a little girl. Of course I'm right. going to go tar- to Target. And, you know, that was a big wake up call for me that breaches have to have some kind of impact. And the consumer, if the brand is strong enough, the consumers aren't going to be the ones bringing that impact. Right. Absolutely. And I do think not to be total negative Nancy here. I think I saw that the stock price of Equifax has now basically reached where it was for the breach. They did have a little bit of impact on that. And, um, you know, I think that there are various ways that we can have impact. I don't have policy, you know, proposals. I'm not a legislator, but I think that we have to continue to hold these organizations accountable, whether they're um, consumer brands, whether they're government agencies, whether they're non-governmental agencies, whatever they may be, when those breaches happen, we have to stand up and say as consumers that our data has value. And if it didn't have value, then you wouldn't have it. And so I need you to protect it. 100%. Well said. So all the legislators out there, take note. (laughs) (laughs) Send an email to your congressman. Yes. (laughs) I have so many calls to make. I'll add that to the list. No, it's a lot. (laughs) So along similar lines... What is the greatest threat facing the security industry? Basically, what, what keeps you up at night? Facing the industry or facing our customers? Ooh, I'll go, I'll say both. Both? Okay. So I, definitely from my point of view, the biggest threat vector is still email. Yeah. Um, I think that email is really interesting. So obviously I work deeply, deeply, deeply in email as a threat vector. And something I realized is that if you really think about it and be fully honest, your personal email people don't use personal email anymore. Okay, you get an Amazon shipping confirmation. That's not a personal email. (laughs) You get an indicator of um, a receipt. That's not a personal email. When's the last time you sat down and had a personal communication via email? Some people email their mom to talk, but a lot of times it's forwarding notifications. It's getting shipping confirmations. It's not used as a personal communications medium anymore, but it is the number one communications medium in the enterprise. So I get hundreds of emails a day at work. I get almost no personal email. I get texts, I get Slack, I get chats, I get Messenger, Signal, Wicker. I don't get personal email anymore. But in the enterprise, email is really the only way that you can talk to someone outside of your organization and that you can have those intra-organization communications. And so I don't know what we can do in place of email. It's going to be here. 
And that means that you're getting threats into your organization. It's a wide open platform. You can't stop it. So you have to protect it from technical and training means both. Absolutely, that's a phenomenal point. So I still think email is the biggest threat to our, yeah. to our user base, um, to our colleagues. I think that to the industry as a whole, I, I think the biggest threat to the industry as a whole is losing credibility. Um, I think that we have to make sure that we go back to the words of Bruce Schneier in 2001, to be honest with you. Um, I'm a believer in a lot of what he said. It is a process, not a product. We are not here to just sell a bunch of stuff. We're yeah. here to implement security processes with tools that work. And we have to stick to that as our foundation. And I think when we lose sight of that, that's what is going to threaten the industry. Absolutely. And that seems even more prevalent, especially when you're at these shows, right? And you it's a see lot of hype. lots of buzzwords. <laughs> yes. Which um, I have a fun question for you, which is, which, uh, what are some of the most overdone security metaphors you've been hearing as of late or the last year? Oh my gosh, overdone security metaphors. <laughs> um, I think that we have actually hit past peak blockchain, which I'm shocked by. I don't hear a lot about <laughs> um, security um, on the blockchain solutions anymore, which I'm thankful for. Um, yes, I know. <laughs> oh boy. Um, so I think like trying to just mix all these different technologies, like throw blockchain on it, put you know some cryptocurrency in there, trying to like mix all these different things together. Um, I think that's one that I'm pretty sick of. Yeah. Um, but I think that you know fundamentals. If we can keep those forefront, then we can probably battle a lot of the hype. Yeah. Um, you know, just doing the security basics. I'm still a believer. It's a different landscape than it was. Um, it's not just all about the network perimeter anymore. There's a lot about um, individual targets and dealing with the cloud um, yeah. has, it's a new frontier, I think, dealing with the cloud and securing containers and things like that. Absolutely. And I think uh, that leads to another question I was hoping to ask you. you. You mentioned that the threat landscape is changing. What are some ways personally that you keep up with this ever-changing, evolving threat landscape? Well, I think that... Um, <laughs> we all know that Twitter is kind of the base of operations for a lot of security researchers. It's probably the best place to find emerging information. There's a lot of great email trust groups. Um, and that's the kind of stuff that I look at. I have a great person on my team who's focused on just watching for in the wild threats mm. and trying to make sure that we've got a handle on those. She's fantastic. Um, the landscape is huge and crazy. The people working on it are varied, numerous. Um, I like to start with Twitter most of the time okay? because that tends to be where you'll see things like, for example, if Tavis or Paul Melson says, does anybody have a contact at this organization? When you see that, that is the canary in the coal mine. <laughs> We're in trouble. Something's coming. Yeah. When, when the really respected researchers reach out on Twitter and say, does anybody have a contact at this organization? People put their seatbelts on. Absolutely. It's about to get bumpy. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Do you have any um, handles you want to call out in terms of other researchers that you keep an eye on or stay in touch with? Oh, sure, sure. Um, everybody on my team, of course, um, on, on the Proofpoint side, Caffeine, Paul Melson, um, Swift on Security, Pseudosev, Cheerio, obviously. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a ton of really talented women. Swagata, um, she's been doing some really, really cool industry research lately. There's just Ian Coldwater. There's so many good people that um, that work so hard that really give true valuable information just for free on Twitter. 
Absolutely. That's a great point. I love I love following uh, Noel Cookies on Twitter. Yes. They post some great IOCs, which I really appreciate. Those are always fun to plug and play with and do some investigations on. So Yes. And when you see the IOCs, when you see infrastructure posted, NerdPile is really good. Mm. And, and then anyone that posts their dog. There's a lot of infosec people that have dogs, and I'm a dog watcher, so... I have some photos to show you later. Oh, I'm excited. <laughs> I will also show you photos. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes, photos. I swap. love a dog pic. I love any dog oh, pic. Oh, my gosh. Yes, I might have seen that on your Twitter, and I was very excited. I, I was like, pic. show a picture of Peanut. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Okay, so I, I want to go to probably a, a fairly cliched conversation, and we, we had a conversation with John Olsick earlier um, from... ESG, and he talked a lot about the cybersecurity skills gap. And he said he's the, he calls himself the chicken little oh, <laughs> of the no. cybersecurity skills gap. There's so many conversations around having, not having enough technical prowess for folks. But what's the, what was the skill in your mind that isn't talked about, or a technical technique or a personality trait transferable skill that isn't discussed in that security gap conversation? Anxiety. So I think that what makes someone really successful in this industry is a deep-seated ability to have anxiety on behalf of others. Mm. To look at something and find the negative, find the bad, find the paranoia, find what could potentially be a terrible thing. And I think that that very much is an innate sense. It's not necessarily something that we can always train people to have. When we explain a situation or we explain a technical concept and that person starts getting nervous about it, those are people that I'm interested in working with. Yeah. And it's, it's not always a really positive trait to have a lot of anxiety, but if you can right. channel that into InfoSec, I think that you can be a really super strong powerhouse and advocate for the people and, and um, technologies that you're protecting. Absolutely. So I think that that's one of the most important things that we can do in the industry is make sure that people are healthily channeling their anxiety into effective protections for their user bases, for their colleagues. The skills gap, um, I, I saw James Comey speak at a security conference in June, and we asked him about the skills gap. And he said, you've got to grow your own. I believe that. We have got to grow our own. And I mean starting in middle school, high school, college. We have to go find those people that have that innate sense and ask them, what are you interested in? What do you want? What do you want to do? What do you think is cool? Yeah. Okay, let me show you how you can channel that into security. And to be super... Um, you know, to not as be as abstract as talking about anxiety as a skill, talking about protocols. Find your favorite protocol. I always start my talks with my favorite protocol, which is DNS right now, changes. <laughs> um, what's, do you have a favorite protocol? I don't. DNS. <laughs> yeah, I feel DNS. like that's what I was like. Oh, don't DNS. say DNS. <laughs> DNS. Um, yeah. We love SMTP at Proofpoint. We love, you know, HTTP at Proofpoint, SSH, RDP. If, if you start naming protocols and one of them makes you feel kind of sick, then you're in the right place. You need to start <laughs> learning those protocols to their very backbone. Read those RFCs. Yeah. Get into them so deeply that you're able to really foundationally change the security of how they're implemented. Yeah. And um, that's, what we, that's what we look for on my team is do you have the kind of sick feeling <laughs> when you look at certain protocols and the way they're implemented in your environment? If you do, that's a great security mindset. Yeah. That's a fantastic point, and I, I do, I've never heard the anxiety <laughs> response before, but I think that's so true. There's such a high level of empathy because people put their blood, sweat, and tears into security, and there's yes. a lot of burnout, and um, 
Yeah, I think that's a phenomenal point, and I'm really glad that you brought that up. It's a, it's a definite um, unique industry, and mm. I think that empathy is one of the most important things that we can have because many of us have come to this industry because we're a little sick. We're like, we, we look at something, we feel like, oh gosh, that could be really bad. Yeah. You know, somebody was asking me about sending um, QR codes around an email and if that's a problem or not. And I immediately was like, yes, you could do this and this and this and this. And you start enumerating in your head all the horrible things that could happen. Yes. And I think that's really what the security mindset is about, is channeling your um, ability for <laughs> being stressed out about stuff into meaningful protections, effective Absolutely. protections, actionable changes. That's a um, goes back to from a completely different industry. There's a whole conversation about different ways to brainstorm and work towards creative ideas, and one of them is the worst case scenario, yes. and then you work backwards from there. We start from that. Start on with this worst one. Case. Start with worst case, <laughs> and then let's put in the tickets to get it fixed. Yes. I'm also just imagining you interviewing somebody and putting like slamming a photo on the table of like an ABD being like, how does this make you feel? <laughs> how does this protocol make you feel? In many of my interviews, I do show um, network IDS signatures and say, how do you feel about this one? What do you think's going on here? Does this make you uncomfortable? Walk me through it. Is this just a simple policy violation or is this right. indicative of command and control communications between malware? Like. It's, this is awesome. Yeah. Yes. Tell, me how you, tell me how it makes you feel. Tell me how it makes you feel. I feel like you're going to start a trend here. I hope so. I hope it is a trend. You heard it here first. Yes. <laughs> Take your stress, make it worth money. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> the answer to all of life's problems. Okay. So um, let's see what else we've got here. I guess on, on your point about, you know, keeping up with all the protocols and knowing them backwards and forwards. What are some accessible places that security folks can go to continue their education? Um, well, in terms of protocols, I think um, it's sort of a joke, but it's sort of true. There's a book called TCPIP Illustrated Volumes 1 and 2, <laughs> um, which are big, thick textbook-like books. But if you're into reading that kind of stuff, it can be fantastic. Um, I think that there are a ton of tutorials on the web. There are a ton of free resources that you can read through. Um Practical Malware Analysis is a book that we just kind of consider foundational on the team. Mm -hmm. Pretty much everyone uses it as a reference all the time. It's out there, and that's something that, um, to, to diverge just a little bit, a lot of people say, I want to get into security. Right. You can do that right now today. So if you're a systems administrator, if you're a network administrator, if you're an IT help desk, you can start building security into everything you do. You can use the free resources that are out there to start having a security mindset. Never let your actual job role prevent you from doing security right now today. I love that. It's a great call to Secure arms. it. Secure it right now. Secure it. <laughs> Secure all the things. I'm curious. I know we're just starting Black Hat. As of when we're recording mm -hmm. this, the doors have just opened. Yeah. So, but I'm curious if you see anything different at summer camp this year than previous years. Well, so my first um, Black Hat was 2004. Um, and it's much bigger. Obviously, it's huge um, compared to how it was. I think that we've added so many conferences. We've added B-Sides in that time. We've added Diana in that time. We've added QueerCon in that time. There are so many other events happening concurrently. Um, and I think that's great. I think that it's more, it's more difficult to meet up with people that you want to meet up with, right. but I think that that's great. I think that um, we have really come into a maturity as an industry in terms of we have the full 
apparatus now. We've got marketing, we've got evangelists, we've got the full complement of a real grown-up industry. And I think that it's it's a good thing for us and we need to take advantage of it. We need to not lose our, our personal spirit, but we need to make sure that we take advantage of the fact that we are being taken seriously for the first time in a long time. Security is something that's in the news. It's in Congress. It's getting budget. Let's leverage that by being there with the best programs and the best proposals that we possibly can. So we can get that budget and we can get stuff done. But I think, um, you know, it's pretty similar to how things have always been around. Um, I love the fact there are more women. It's nice to have yes. um, a larger percentage of women in the, in the halls and things like that. So that's been really great. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter at Domain Tools. All of the articles mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at blog.domaintools.com. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. That's it for this week. We'll see you again next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click. <laughs>